everybody welcome to another episode of not rocket science episode 19 i think 19 damn getting up there hope you guys are having a good week i'm having an eh week i guess i was on vacation last week just got back to brooklandia last night we went, um, I stayed at my parents' house in New Jersey on Sunday and came back here last night. Um, it's Monday now. And yeah, I had a good week on vacation other than being sick sort of the whole time, which sucks. But uh, yeah, I had a little cold going on, head cold, cold action, um, which is kind of a bummer, but... Overall, the trip was still pretty good. We went to Vermont and Montreal. I go to Vermont every year or upstate New York because we're on this lake. One side's Vermont, the other side's New York, whatever. Um, I'm just kind of hung out for a week. It was nice. It was nice to get out of the city. I mean, New York's one of these places that you know, like, just living in can't be the best for you health-wise, but uh, when you go somewhere else, it really kind of puts it in perspective. Because here, whenever I breathe in, I'm always afraid to breathe in too hard, because just all the car exhaust and fumes and pollution and just random smells of garbage and everything just, like, makes me afraid to breathe in a way which is not so good or much of a ringing endorsement but um yeah up there it just feels better even Montreal which is a city it just feels cleaner I mean your surroundings are cleaner it's a pretty clean city overall but it's a little weird how that translates to just like breathing in it's also on a mountain you see the mountain the water looks cleaner you know the whole nine um I love Montreal it just sucks that it's only nice for like maybe three months a year because I've been up there in the middle of winter too and no thank you it is brutal up there in the winter I always forget about it I'm so jaded because I go up there every August so like at this point my understanding of Montreal is just like Montreal in August Um, I haven't been there in the winter time since I was a kid but I still have memories of how freaking cold it is up there it is a beast. Um, had a good time. I didn't do much. Just kind of walked around the neighborhood. We did a two-nighter in Montreal, so we weren't there that long. But, uh, man, it's nice up there. Wish it was, like, relocated somewhere with a warmer climate, and maybe I'd move there and learn Quebecois. Not French, but Quebecois. It is different. 
when I was all up into languages at one point, I remember watching videos between the difference between um, regular French and Quebecois French. It's pretty significant. I don't know. I don't know enough about it to be able to tell how it translates to English, like Australian English versus England English versus American English. But I don't know. Just on the surface level, it seemed a little crazier. And from talking to people that speak French, it seems like the accent in Montreal is a bit more. Uh, they seem to like equate it to almost like a farmer twang. Like there's some sort of like country twang to it, which is funny um, as someone that can't really pick it up at all. But anyway, it's pretty good. Um, I didn't drink this whole trip at all except one night in Montreal and I just kind of went all out. I was like, fuck it. I haven't been drinking, period, because I've been having like a little sore throat action since before I even went on this trip. Um, so I've been not drinking for a little while. So one night I was just like, screw it, had wine, had cocktails, the whole nine. Woke up, didn't feel that good. Did not feel the best. I didn't feel terrible. I didn't have like a crazy hangover, but I just felt off because we also ate a lot of food, me and my girlfriend, and uh, I bought a lot of candy that night like an idiot or like a six-year-old, I guess, and ate a lot of chocolate. So yeah, the old tummy was not feeling so great the next day and almost had a close call. Yeah. I was uh, trying to find a bathroom, <laughs> and it is the best when this happens. Like, you know, when you got to go and you're in public, and for a while it's like whatever. You're casually trying to find or scout out a place to find a public bathroom, and then there's always that little moment where shit gets a lot realer, no pun intended, and, uh, or maybe pun intended, that was pretty good, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you start maybe, like, getting the panic sweats a little, and then you gotta just call audibles, and it's a no-huddle offense in that bitch, and you gotta just find any bathroom, you'll take anything, you'll take a porta potty maybe, I mean, I would, um, you'll take whatever you can find. And the one of the most satisfying moments in life that I've experienced so far is when you're in that situation, when you're getting, like, the sweats and it's become fucking red alert situation, just hostile missile crisis action going on. And uh, you finally find a bathroom, and it's, like, a nice one. I ran into this bathroom in this quiet office building that was attached to this cafe we went to. It was really weird. It was like a cafe, but then there was like a glass door, almost like when a restaurant or a Starbucks or whatever is attached to a hotel, but it wasn't a hotel. It was just this like building. I didn't really catch what it was. I think it might have been like a, a college building. I don't know, maybe like McGill University or something. And there was this bathroom that was, like, really nice. It had video screens in it. You know it's a nice bathroom when there's, like, video screens inside. And nobody was in it. Like, nobody. Like, I, I didn't even get a sense that someone might be coming. It might as well have been my, my apartment. Um, so that was... 
it's pretty sad to say that that's not, that was like one of the highlights. And I don't want to say it was one of the highlights because it's not. I mean, I had ridiculously good food. The weather was perfect. Um, just walking around the neighborhoods was amazing. But from a, just a memorable standpoint, like from the standpoint of just what was memorable, that was pretty damn memorable. Um, just because those are like one of those little moments in life that just kind of, you're just like, thank you. If there's a higher power out there, thank you. Um, so yeah, that happened. Great, great story, bro. Anyway, vacation was good. It was a little short. I guess the older I get, the shorter these trips feel. I mean, I guess in general you feel that way, like about years, months, etc. But they're starting to feel really short. Like I feel like I did maybe half a vacation at this point. Um, but going to New Orleans next month, so I'll have some more time to hang out. Um, good to be back in a way, get back in the swing of things, still adjusting. But uh, that was my trip to Montreal and Vermont. Vermont was awesome. We had a lake house sunsets overlooking the mountains like that was some pristine shit watched uh wild wild country again second time me and my girlfriends watched that shit how crazy is that show if you haven't watched wild wild country on netflix yet do it tonight tonight and i watched last chance you again on netflix great show about junior college football and the crazy, crazy little subculture that it is. Um, I didn't get too into it, but those two shows are awesome. If, even if you don't like football at all, um, you might be interested in it. You might. I mean, not definitely, but it'll be somewhat interesting to you. Because um, a lot of it's more just like human uh, relation stories and like social dynamics and how these kids can struggle and the ones that come from certain backgrounds versus other backgrounds and how it all shakes out um pretty interesting stuff but uh, a lot's been going on since i left i haven't i haven't feel like i recorded one of these in a long time at this point um because i think i did the last episode episode 18 earlier than i normally do so it's felt like quite a period of time has gone by since i've actually recorded one of these um so it's good to be back Lots been going on. Um, I saw this article. I guess I'm just going to like swing into, I guess, current events or whatever we call it here. I don't have a name for this. It's just stories that I actually read and paid attention to and found interesting. So one thing I've been doing since I was a little kid is always, even if I don't even give a shit about like most of pop music anymore, um, I don't really listen to much of it. But I like to still keep tabs on what's going on. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the 12-year-old in me that just wants to be up with the times or something. But something I always pay attention to is, like, the billboard charts and all that. Um, I I guess I don't want to be, like, the old guy at the party, like, who's Demi Lovato? You know? You know, you don't want to be that guy. I'm getting up there in age a little bit, and... uh, that fear starting to creep in cuz i'm starting to listen to some of these some of these rap songs like takashi 69 shit and i'm just like i don't get it man i do get it on one hand i do get it it's just upping the aggression of uh i guess what like maybe 36 mafia was doing back in the day but it just sounds like 
not good as music to me. Um, and it's really the first time that's happened where an entire wave of hip hop just sounds crappy to me. Although I do like XXX Tentacion. Um, his music is a little, it was a little more going on. There's a little more depth to it. And even his more aggressive tracks just had a higher level of artistry, better use of samples. Um, the beats were a little rough in the mix, but overall you could tell there was something there. Um, but anyway, I was reading on High Snobiety about this whole like Nicki Minaj meltdown thing going on where she went on a Twitter rampage about album sales. Like, I don't really see this podcast as, as an entertainment coverage type of podcast. So, as you don't talk about like Nicki Minaj, but this kind of delves into the music business side of things, um, particularly with streaming platforms. And I found it kind of interesting why she was ranting and why everyone's kind of like backlashing against her as an interesting kind of a social puzzle, social dynamic puzzle going on here. Um, what do we got? What do we got? So she was complaining about Travis Scott Astro World, which I talked about on this show being the number one album on Billboard because he did some sneaky tactics to get the slot based on the fact that Billboard uh, recently announced a change in rules that made how they accumulate like what the top spot is on the Billboard chart, um, how that's tallied. So particularly with how they tally streams. Um, so there's two types of metrics they use. One is an SEA, like a C, um, which stands for Stream Equivalent Album. So it's like when you stream the equivalent of an album download. Uh, and then there's a TEA, which is a track equivalent unit. They're kind of the same thing, but really the key thing to notice is that one TEA is the equivalent of... I'm sorry, one SEA is the equivalent of three TEAs. So basically what that means is streams on premium, so let's say Spotify premium, are worth three times as much as free streams on the same service, regardless of whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, whatever, which can have an effect on the album rollout strategy on these services. And what was interesting is how Nicki Minaj put on that 6ix9ine collaboration track last minute to try to get more streams. And Travis Scott did something similar by putting Butterfly Effect, which is an older song, on Astroworld um, to get more streams. So it's kind of like just changed the game of, of how you roll out an album because it used to not matter. It's something that used to just not matter. Track list was more of an artistic thing. Now the track list is really a business thing. Because um, you need as many eyeballs and ears on your album as possible. So, like, back in the day, I remember there were a lot of collaborations that used to never make the album. Because they were just not considered good and they didn't really fit within the narrative of the album. And now... That's all changing because of streaming and how Billboard counts these streams when it comes to their charts. 
It's really interesting how all this is just fundamentally shifting right now and how some artists are benefiting, other artists are getting screwed over. Um, but I don't know, with this Nicki Minaj thing, it seemed like she was doing a lot of the same tactics that Travis Scott's team was doing. I mean, she didn't get Virgil Abloh to, to do some merch design, um, which you can easily equate to more downloads because uh, of these limited edition merch drops. And he also did the season passes thing, which guaranteed access to pre-sale tour tickets, but the tour at the time wasn't even announced yet. And fans didn't have to redeem like a digital download code or anything, which was one thing Nicki Minaj was complaining about um, in terms of units moved. But... I mean, she's, she did her own tour passes and merch bundles and didn't come out on the other side. Plus, to me, what just the real interesting thing is is how negative the market, meaning people, Twitter, the Twitter sphere, whatever, has treated Nicki Minaj. Because I think it's two things. One thing is nobody complares, compl- nobody cares about a rich person complaining there's just this automatic instinct to just be like fuck you you're rich who cares you know whether you your album debuted number two or number one and then the other thing is in hip-hop particularly there's this whole because a lot of the culture is so built on the idea of like peacocking showing off being the best rapping about how you're the best always being the coolest and also, like, having this, like, brush the haters off thing where you have this guise of just, like, not giving a shit about anything and getting your money, right? So, like, when she launches these rants on social media, you know, that's the exact opposite of saying, you know, fuck my haters, I don't give a shit, you know, I'm in my own lane, blah, 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 that you always rap about. It just looks, it just makes the whole rap persona look fake, and that is a dynamic that is unique to hip-hop, in my opinion. To a degree. To a degree. Because now at this point, hip-hop's so established as a cultural force that that kind of mentality is rubbed off on non-rappers. Um, so maybe it's not just exclusively hip-hop, but hip-hop kind of, to me, in a way, helped birth that type of mentality in the mainstream um so i just think it's kind of interesting how like streaming platforms and social media has kind of changed the dynamic of album sales and it's now hitting this point of maturity where it's like there's some sort of model being established it's not the wild wild west anymore where it's like oh shit we're in fucksville as an industry let's just try anything and see what sticks like something's stuck now and now it's like all the artists are trying to figure out how to how to get in line with this new model. Um, to me, it's kind of similar to like building apps and websites, and how there's now kind of like a solid process that's kind of becoming the standard. And how for a while, back in like the early two thousands, mid two thousands, etc., that whole process was kind of being established, and people were trying all different stuff. Agile development, waterfall development. I mean, this might be boring to most of you, but it's just this funny parallel on how technology in different industries um, can affect those industries differently. But, like, 
overall the phenomenon of what's changing is, is kind of the same thing in a way. Um, you know, it's just we're just looking at industries maturing from an old model to a new one, and there's going to be winners and losers in the execution and rollout of products, albums, whatever in this stage, but it's like the 1.0 version of the new model. And I think this is interesting, and I think it's also interesting to see if Nicki Minaj can rebound because her popularity is slipping, it's particularly with Cardi B just blowing up last year. Like It's very interesting and when it comes to female rappers how there always seems to be one top dog it's like it with male rappers too, but I guess because there's less female rappers, there's always seems to be like one female rapper who's it, and everyone else is following suit, with the exception of Missy Elliott, because Missy Elliott, even when she wasn't the biggest rapper at the time, because she didn't have an album out or whatever, she was always considered like a force, because her stuff was so left field, but there's time, you know, it was like Foxy Brown, and then it was Lil' Kim... You could say it was like Remy Ma for a minute. Um, who else? Eventually, Nicki Minaj. And now it's like clearly Cardi B. Like, clearly. Nicki Minaj is without a doubt at least number two right now in the female rap rankings. And that probably doesn't sit well with her. Um, but. Rapping is a young man and young woman's game, and uh, Nicki Minaj is, what, 35-ish now? Just the way it goes, man. Just the way it goes. Anyway, I just found that whole fallout super interesting, and we'll see what happens. See, Honestly, I actually listened to a little bit of Nicki Minaj's album. It's not bad. It was very different from what I was thinking. It's very kind of like real, just like hip-hop, a lot of rapping. A lot of the beats are kind of more old-school New Yorkish in a way. Not like straight-up DJ premiere shit, but like has that. It's cut from that cloth. Um, not what I was expecting. So kind of a shame that the rollout was so poorly executed. But uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible album for, for Nicki Minaj's standards in my opinion, because some of her other albums, I was just like, Ugh. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, this, y- the other thing that I found interesting was the whole uh, Logan Paul KSI fight. I don't give a shit about the fight itself. I don't give a shit about Logan Paul. I mean, he just seems like a douche. Or KSI. I don't even know him. I know him a little bit, but I don't really know him that much. But the Logan Paul thing, you know, that was like massive mainstream news. And he just seems like a tool frat boy. He seems like the dude that Zach Efron for a while played in all the comedies he was in. Like, but just the real life version. <laughs> That's what Logan Paul always seemed like to me. Um, but whatever. Had that big boxing match over the weekend in England and I, I didn't even know about it till like two weeks ago maybe but to me it's interesting that celebrity boxing matches were always kind of like a last ditch effort for f- grabbing you know any kind of spotlight that someone can who's like a z-list celebrity like I remember Tanya Harding was in that for a while uh Dustin Diamond from Saved by the Bell was doing uh, celebrity boxing matches. Danny Bonaducci 
in the early 2000s, I think. Um, and it was like a show. It was like on Fox or something. And I totally remember that being a thing. And now this is kind of like a different version of that. It's like half that and half the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight last year, which was an interesting event from a public spectacle standpoint. The fight itself is kind of a snoozer, to be honest. Um, I'm big in the combat sports. I love the artistry of combat sports. Uh, I've always loved it. It's something I follow. I don't really talk about much on this podcast, but like, to me, the idea of a celebrity boxing match is so old at this point. I can't really get mad at it. Everyone's saying this is an outrage, toxic masculinity, and it's forefront. But it's like, yeah, it is. But I think what's going on with this is just because. These are two YouTube stars, so it's more of a mainstream thing. They're not actually real prize fighters. So it's a bit easier to just peg it as a spectacle and not a sporting event, um, which I agree with. But I'm reading articles about it because I'm more interested in the cultural reaction. I don't really care about the fight itself. I can watch real boxing if I want to watch boxing. I don't need to see YouTube celebrities box. But it's interesting, one, that two YouTube stars at this point can sell out an arena. So just the model celebrity is totally changing at this point. Two, they wanted to do this as a thing. Three, how all of these like tech blog writers and social media blog writers are writing articles about this thing who are so out of their lane in terms of like understanding combat sports that it's just it's it's just a shit show all around um to be honest i don't really care about them doing this like i don't there are some purists in uh you know the boxing world of course even the even the mma world just combat sports world in general and i'm just like what do you expect this day and age everyone wants to be rich and famous Right, like we keep talking about toxic masculinity, which is a real thing. Like I totally agree, it's a real thing. I just think we don't put enough care in what we label as toxic masculinity versus what we don't. Because um, to me, it's easy to just throw this whole thing as an act of peacocking, attention-seeking, narcissism, toxic masculinity, blah 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 blah. And a lot of it's true, particularly the promotional aspect of it. But I remember reading earlier this today this article in The Verge about the fight from this guy who clearly doesn't watch combat sports at all. Clearly is like, not that it's wrong or anything, but super liberal and loves throwing out the term toxic masculinity and loves informing people exactly what it is and how you as a man are actually a victim you know, don't feel offended by it because it's the way society has, you know, deemed you as having to be this, this, and this. And the reason why it's toxic is because it affects other people more so, whereas with women, these standards that they often cannot meet and become depressed about causes inner damage more often and blah, 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 blah. It's all like, it. it's not bro science, but it's whatever the opposite of bro science is. Like, I don't know sister science i don't i don't know to me it's it's the exact opposite of that but just as unlegit 
in its merit because it's not something that I'm seeing any clear empirical data to back or some clear definitions defined. Like, because the way this article is written in The Verge, it's the cover story right now. Just go to the cover story. You wouldn't know the difference between how being bullied can affect the male psyche versus how being in a boxing match can affect the male. They're two different things entirely, but they're all kind of like lumped together as one act of like gross masculinity, which annoyed the fuck out of me because the idea of boxing as a sport being like an example of gross masculinity is just wrong. Um, and it's just based on naivety more than anything. And just certain things where he's just trying to poke fun at the notion of like combat sports being a viable form of sport or art or whatever. Because he just had these, the writer just had these little like quibs poking fun at the idea of combat sports in general, which I thought was fucking stupid and made his overall article seem less legit in its analysis just stuff like this like uh, in spite of all the simulated this is on the verge by the way one of the quotes was after the fight he was talking about what was going on backstage and how the actual fight was real even though all the promotional leading up to it was just sensationalist bullshit um he says that part of the hype was real referring to the fight and it was underscored at the end by fellow YouTuber True Jordy, who interviewed Logan Paul and said he had pr- quote-unquote proven his heart by withstanding all those punches. Take a moment to appreciate this sentiment. A man proves himself a man by surviving a beating and then went out and returned in 2018. Like, sure. He said he's, first of all, first of all, you're saying a man proves himself a man which, I mean, to me seems a little bit like diving into toxic masculinity in a way. I don't know. Why not just say proving himself to be tough or courageous? Because the quote was proven his heart, not proven I'm a man. So for one, that's kind of just like fucking up your whole point in the first place. And then two... When you have to endure something as hard as boxing, it definitely proves something. It's a hard thing. Like, if you haven't done that, and I've never even done a real boxing match, but I know it's hard as fuck just based on training boxing. Like, if you've never done that before, you cannot critique it. And I think KSI, I don't really know KSI, but Logan Paul is a total fuckstick who I don't care, you know, if he's sabotaged his own career again and was broke on the street next Tuesday for all I care. I don't give a fuck. But this idea of like calling into the notion of going through something as difficult as a boxing match and coming out and thinking that you might approve something as a ridiculous example of like toxic masculinity because it's 2018 and we should know better to me is totally fucking ridiculous combat sports to me is basically something that's part of human nature at this point or at least the love for 
competitive aggression. I mean, boxing or some form of boxing, hand fighting, hand-to-hand combat, as an activity that people participate in and as something that people spectate dates back to, like, the ancient Egyptians. I think it was, like, 1350 B.C. is the earliest record of hand fighting as something that people watched. So, like, we're talking centuries upon centuries upon centuries upon centuries of history at this point. And we've been doing it since then, before media was a thing, before... I mean, maybe you can you can formulate the argument that, you know, there was some form of toxic masculinity out there, but before there's even, like, any kind of academic or philosophical environment to evaluate what that even is, it existed. I mean, I'm convinced. So people have different levels of testosterone or whatever. I totally get it. But I'm convinced that this idea of being attracted to something like this is just part of who we are. I mean, we're what? one percent away from being chimps let me actually look that up because i don't want to just come up with fake stats here um let's see here dna percentage yeah so okay this is from the scientific american the recent sequencing of gorilla chimpanzee and bonono genomes confirmed that the position and provides a clear view of how we're connected chimps and bonobos in particular take pride of place as our nearest living relatives sharing approximately 99 percent of our dna with gorillas trailing at 98 percent yeah so we're 99 percent the same as a bonobo and a chimp and they like kill each other on the reg in gang fights like this idea that we're these moral perfect beings that aren't just mammals that have the same mammal like tendencies um just to dismiss that is a little ridiculous and like when it comes to chimpanzee attacks uh, according to online today in nature i'm just reading the article that I was going off of before. Yeah, 92% of all attacks was based on a way for males to spread their genes. 63% of attacks were from outsiders who were attacked by animals outside of their group. This is an article talking about chimpanzee attacks, again, from from sciencemag.org. Confirming that chimps band together to fight particularly for territory, food, and mates. So by nature, we're 1% away from a species that kills each other over food, territory, and mates and exhibit tribalist gang warfare, for lack of a better word. So, like, that's one argument for me why I don't get why this idea of a fascination with combat sports and aggression is that far-fetched. And the other one is that we're talking about, well, it's 2018, it's not ancient Roman times, but it's like, how quickly are we supposed to detach from this 
thing that we're genetically attracted to by nature. Like, what, we've been boxing since 1350 B.C., and I guess bare knuckle, I mean, we're still doing bare knuckle boxing, but, you know, bare knuckle boxing is big in the early 1900s, and we've been doing regular boxing also since the early 1900s. Like, how are we supposed to detach ourselves from this? There's been no point in history where boxing, wrestling, or some form of martial arts has not been a thing that has had a large fan base on some level. Um, so to me, the idea that we're, like, morally superior to just succumbing to such gross forms of entertainment to me is just insane. Um, it's who we are. Get over it. Embrace it. Or don't embrace it, but don't act like we should evolve from it or something like that. We're mammals. We're 1% away from a species that fights each other to the death over territories. Okay? So that's a, that's that. I'm going to leave it there. Um, I think I'm going to cut this one a little short. I'm trying to get back in the swing of things. Uh, the next one will be longer, but I just want to kind of get the ball rolling again with these bad boys. Um, the only other thing was I saw, here's how much Kylie Jenner, LeBron James, and Beyonce make in an hour from Hypebeast. I don't really care about this, but I just wanted to do the math. So surprisingly, so out of those, out of... Kylie Jenner, LeBron James, Beyonce, and George Clooney, who do you think makes the most money? Because the answer is George Clooney. He's the highest paying actor this year, I guess, which I didn't realize. I didn't even know what he's in. I thought The Rock was the highest paying, but we're going to do some quick math right now. George Clooney makes $27,283 an hour. That is insane. Hold on. How many hours are in a year? Okay, 8,760 hours in a year. So, let's see this. Simple math here, folks. Holy shit, there's no way that's real. Let's see here. Did the, oh, 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 oh. So this is like if they were hourly workers. So based on... I don't know how they got this number because I don't know how they got the total number of hours worked by actors. Yeah, I don't get this. I I call bullshit on this whole article, actually. Because if you did it, if you calculated what George Clooney makes an hour for the total number of hours in a year, it's $238,999,080. Which is insane. Um, So I don't know. It's from Business Insider. But I don't know how that number was attained. Um, Let's see. So I'm on Business Insider. Do they have anything about how they got these numbers? Or is it just a rate? It might just be a rate that their agents or whatever disclose or their PR firms disclose um and then you know they probably don't work that many hours but damn george clooney from humble beginnings on er i don't know that was just a fun little thing that i saw this wanted to throw out there but uh in hindsight it might be a depressing little thing i just want to throw out there anyway that's all i got this week guys um 
I'll be back next week with a new pod to cast. And I hope you guys have a good one. Thanks so much. Follow on Twitter and Insta if you haven't yet, NRS underscore show. And I will see you next Monday. Take it easy. Peace.